beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as children of God, many of us will at some point in our lives experience doubt. Not necessarily doubt in the existence of God, but doubt about his plans and his purposes in our lives. There may be times when our faith falters, when it seems like God is far removed from the daily reality of my life. As Christians, we may at times wrestle with the nearness of Christ or the reality of his grace in our lives. When we read our Bibles, we hear of the wondrous works the Lord accomplished for his people. How the Lord split the Red Sea to provide a wondrous escape for the Israelites. How he drowned Pharaoh and his chariots and horsemen in the midst of the sea. How the Lord caused the sun to stand still to give Joshua and the Israelites time to vanquish the Amorites. We read of how Jesus fed the hungry, gave sight to the blind, how he caused the lame to walk and raise the dead. And then we ask, is this God still really with us today? Why don't I experience his presence in my life in a more tangible way? Gideon struggled with these questions. He had heard the accounts of the wondrous deeds the Lord had done for his people in days gone by. But that certainly wasn't a reality in his life. He and the Israelites were being severely oppressed by the Midianites. He was threshing grain, beating the kernels of wheat from the stalks in a wine press. He was hiding the little bit that he had from the plundering Midianites who came each season to rob the Israelites of their crops and animals. Gideon faced many doubts and struggles in his faith. If you do, or if you have, then our text offers great comfort and hope about who God truly is, about his nearness and care in our lives. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. In calling Gideon to save Israel, the Lord reveals himself as a God of peace. We'll see how the Lord overcomes Gideon's doubt with a promise that equips him, with a sign that convinces him, and with peace to reassure him. Our text is set during the time of the judges. It was a time when God's people often lost sight of the Lord and of his promises, when they turned away to serve other gods. To call his people back to him, the Lord sent foreign nations to oppress them. In their suffering, the Israelites would cry out to the Lord, and he would send a judge to save them. But inevitably, after a period of rest, the Israelites would again turn away from the Lord. A common refrain in the book of Judges is that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Gideon had not experienced much oppression and hardship in his early life. 
Judges 5 ends with a statement that the land had rest for 40 years. Gideon was born into good times, not bad ones. Israel had been delivered from 20 years of oppression, and as their praise shows, they knew they owed their freedom to God and that they were God's friends. Yet the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them over into the hand of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east. The Midianites and Amalekites were ancient enemies of Israel. Unlike earlier times, these oppressors did not come to conquer and to take possession of the land. Instead, as desert dwellers, they were hungry for the riches that the fertile, workable land of Israel could produce. So they would swoop in like a locust plague when the crops were ripe, and they would strip the land bare. They would also plunder the Israelites' sheep, oxen, and donkeys, leaving the people with little food and making it harder each year to produce more food. It went on for seven years, a time of fullness. The Israelites were reduced to living in dens and caves to survive. Finally, in their despair, they cried out to the Lord. Unlike other occasions, the Lord did not immediately send help. Instead, he sent a prophet to remind them of who he was. He was the God who had delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. He was the one who drove out their enemies and gave them possession of the promised land. The Lord said to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. We see the Lord issuing a call to repentance. Something revealing in this for us, beloved. There's often a reason for the distance that can exist in our relationship with God. We can so easily be diverted from living a life devoted to the Lord. We may confess to love the Lord and desire to serve Him, and yet have major parts of the day when we live as if God does not exist. We may lead outwardly respectable lives, but not foster a close relationship through Bible study and prayer. And often then the result is, is that we feel disconnected from God. We can begin to doubt his relevance in our lives. We don't always have a sense of his abiding presence with us. After issuing a call to repentance, the Lord does not wait for a response from his people. God takes the initiative in restoring fellowship with Israel. Our text tells us about the appearance of the angel of the Lord. As we saw earlier in the sermon series, the angel of the Lord is identified with the Lord, and yet he is distinguished from him. The Old Testament makes it clear that he is the second person of the Trinity. This is God come in human flesh. It's an appearance of Jesus Christ 
in the time before he assumed our flesh and blood and dwelt among us. He appears at critical times in the history of his people, working for their salvation and their well-being. The angel of the Lord sat under the terebinth tree on Joash's property, watching his son Gideon. Gideon was carrying on with normal everyday life, beating out what little weed he had in a wine press, hiding from Israel's oppressors. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the form of a man. He said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. These were challenging words for Gideon. He doesn't really believe them. Gideon did not experience God's nearness and care. And he certainly did not see himself as a mighty man of valor. We see it in his response. Gideon addresses the man before him with a polite title of respect. He calls him, my Lord. It's clear Gideon does not realize who it is that's speaking to him. Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? If what the man said is true, that the Lord was with them, then Where were all the wonderful deeds like those he had done in delivering Israel from Egypt? Gideon charges God with forsaking Israel, with giving them over into the hands of the Midianites. Gideon's response was a real, honest, heartfelt response. For seven years, the Israelites had been overrun by the Midianites, having their food supply for the coming year stolen. When their oppressors came, they were forced to hide out in dens and caves. Gideon felt powerless. He certainly did not experience God's presence in his life. Beloved, don't we sometimes have a similar response? When we hear God's promises about how he will be with us, How he will never forsake us. Do you experience the nearness of God in the mundaneness of everyday life? Don't you have it? That when you're confronted with the struggles of life, that it seems like God is far removed from everyday life? You pray for renewed health and strength. You pray for the ability to cope with anxiety or depression. But nothing much changes. You ask God to bless you and provide when money is tight. But you continue to struggle to pay the bills. You may be facing particular heartaches and plead for God's blessings and his care. It seems like your prayers go unanswered. In those moments, does God truly seem near? Don't you ever doubt God's promises? Don't you ever struggle with his plan and his purpose for your life? times I talk about this with my catechism students. 
They're tremendously blessed to grow up in Christian families, to receive a Christian education, to be part of a Christian church. From a young age, they learn about the Lord and all his wondrous deeds. At times I ask them, do you believe all this? How do you know that what you've been taught is true? I don't ask those questions because I want them to doubt who God is or what God has done for us. But as our young people mature, they need to make the faith their own. And it's natural for them to face doubts and to ask questions. It's good to get these things out into the open so we can help them and affirm them in their faith. You know, beloved, as Christians... We may know how things are supposed to be in our heads. Doesn't mean we always experience them in our hearts. But the comforting thing is that God knows us. He knows our doubts and our struggles. After sending a prophet to admonish his people about their waywardness, the Lord does not wait for a response from them. Our text says nothing about the Israelites repenting, about them turning back to God. Instead, it speaks of how God takes the initiative. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And in response to Gideon's questions, he gives Gideon a charge. He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? First, the angel of the Lord calls Gideon a mighty man of valor, and now he charges him to go and save Israel. Gideon struggles with this message. He asks, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In Israel, Gideon was a nobody. He was not from one of the leading tribes in the land. He came from a weak clan. He didn't even have much standing in his own family. Gideon doesn't believe that he is the right man to save Israel. And yet the Lord persists in calling Gideon to save his people. The Lord says to Gideon, But I will be with you, and you will shall strike the Midianites as one man. Again, the Lord comes back with his striking promise. I will be with you. It's the basic promise of the covenant. Emmanuel, God with us. It's because God is with him that he would equip Gideon to be a valiant warrior. At this point, Gideon still has questions. And as our text continues, we'll see that he still has doubts. But we need to recognize that it is through the promise of his presence that the Lord equips Gideon. God's promise is to be near, to be with us. This is the foundation for intimate fellowship with him. It's 
True, beloved, we don't always experience this as a reality in the midst of a fallen and broken world. But if you want to live in a close relationship with God, it begins by holding on to his promise, I am with you. Believing in God's promise, believing in God's presence in your life, changes everything. It's a foundation for drawing near in fellowship with him. It brings us to our second point, and we'll see how the Lord overcomes Gideon's doubt with a sign that convinces him. While Gideon was not immediately aware of who it was who was speaking to him, it begins to dawn on him that it is the Lord speaking with him. Gideon knew the story of how the Lord had appeared to Abraham in the form of a man. He experiences this person who he thought was a man, calling him to serve as the next deliverer of Israel. And then he hears that covenantal promise, I will be with you. So he begins to suspect who it was who was speaking with him. Gideon asks, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. He asked this person whom he suspected was the Lord to wait for him till he came back to bring him a gift. The angel of the Lord agrees. Then Gideon went to prepare a meal for his guest. Gideon is repeating Abraham's actions in Genesis 18. As Abram brought meat and bread and served it to the Lord and the angels with him under the tree. So Gideon does the same. Gideon's ephah of flour is similar to Abram's three siahs of flour. About five gallons worth. With it he prepared bread. He also slaughtered and prepared a young goat along with some broth in a pot. The quantity of food that Gideon prepares is astoundingly great. It's much more than what is required to feed one guest. And Gideon did this during a time when the Midianites had been pillaging the land for seven years, stealing the Israelites' wheat and flocks. Raises questions about why he was preparing this kind of meal for his guest. Remember Gideon's request for the Lord to show him a sign that it was truly God who was speaking with him? Consider the fact he prepares exactly the same kind of meal as Abraham prepared for his visitors. The Lord responded to Abram by eating a covenantal meal, entering into fellowship with him. Afterward, when Abram walks with his visitors, the Lord shared with him that he had come to see what was happening at Sodom and Gomorrah, because their sin was very grave. The Lord shared his plans and purposes with Abram, because he considered Abram to be his friend. He told him that he'd come to bring judgment on these cities. The Lord gave Abram opportunity to intercede for the righteous living in these cities. Gideon had heard his visitor make a godlike promise. I will be with you. His visitor had charged him to be the next deliverer of Israel. Gideon wanted to be sure that it was the Lord who was speaking to him. And so he presented a meal that had all the elements of a peace offering to his guest. 
The angel of God instructed him to put the meat and the unleavened bread on the rock and to pour broth over them. And then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff and touched the meat and the bread. Fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meal that Gideon had presented. And the angel of the Lord disappeared from his sight. Instead of eating the meal presented to him, the angel of the Lord accepts the food as an offering. He visibly reaches out with a staff in his hand to touch the meal, reminding us of how the Lord used the staff in Moses' hand and Aaron's hand to perform wondrous miracles and signs for Pharaoh and his magicians. As he touches the food, fire springs up to consume it, reminding us of how the Lord often revealed himself to his people with his fiery presence. The acceptance of Gideon's peace offering shows the Lord's desire to enter into covenant fellowship with Gideon as representative of God's people. And the fact that the angel of the Lord suddenly disappeared makes it abundantly clear that his visitor was not a man, but God himself. Gideon had asked for a sign to confirm that it was the Lord speaking to him. The Lord provides a sign that is utterly convincing. Our text says that Gideon perceived that it was the angel of the Lord. He was utterly convinced that his visitor was God himself. It seemed in the fact that he had concern for his life. God's people believed that they could not see his face and live. Gideon cries out because of this. He fears because he has seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And so we see, Gideon was assured that God had come and spoken to him. God's sign of consuming his sacrifice with fire and suddenly disappearing from sight convinced him of God's presence in his life. It gave him the assurance that it was the Lord who was calling him to serve as deliverer in Israel. You remember all those doubts Gideon had? How he didn't really believe that God was with his people because of their oppression at the hands of the Midianites? How he couldn't imagine the Lord's plan to use him, a nobody, to save his people? Those doubts were gone. The Lord showed forth his presence in a special way that left no doubt in Gideon's mind that his visitor was the angel of the Lord. But beloved, we don't experience God in quite the same way, do we? God doesn't appear to us in the form of a man speaking to us or manifest his presence by burning up a sacrifice with fire. We need to remember that Gideon lived very early in redemptive history. God's revelation of himself was still very limited. His plans and his purposes for his people were still shrouded in mystery. Even though Jesus Christ appeared to Gideon in human flesh, the way of salvation was not yet revealed to him. God has made himself much more fully known to us in Jesus Christ. 
He has revealed the way of salvation. God has shown forth his great love in sending his son in human flesh to offer himself as a sin offering so we could be restored to fellowship with him. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church. He lives in the heart of each one of us as God's children. We have experienced the fullness of the Emmanuel promise, God with us. So why don't we always experience God's nearness and care? Why does it sometimes feel like God is far removed from the daily reality of our lives? Why does our faith sometimes falter? Why do we struggle with God's plans and purpose for our lives? Why do we wrestle with the nearness of Christ or the reality of his grace in our lives? Sometimes it's because, like the Israelites, we've wandered from a wholehearted service of God. Sin can and sin does create a barrier between us and the Lord. If there's unconfessed sin in our lives, we need to repent of it and seek renewal in our relationship with God. Sometimes the problem is that we don't take the opportunities there are to grow close to God. We're not always faithful in our church attendance. We regularly miss out on hearing the gospel preached or partaking in the sacraments God has given us for the strengthening of our faith. Often we're slack in reading and studying and meditating on God's word. Beloved, the simple reality is, is that you're not going to experience God's presence in your life if you don't use the means that he has given to learn to know him and love him and live in close fellowship with him. But there's hope. Our God knows us and loves us. If we don't come to him, then he will take the initiative and he will draw near to us. Our God is a God who is full of mercy and of grace. He wants the best for us. He wants to draw us into intimate fellowship with him. If we don't come to God, then God may use hardships and he may use struggles to show us how much we need him, to call us back into fellowship with him. If you're experiencing struggles that cause you to doubt God's presence in your life, perhaps you need to consider that he's using precisely those struggles to humble you, to persuade you. You need him in your life. Brings us to our final point. And we'll see how the Lord overcomes Gideon's doubt with peace to reassure him. While Gideon was assured of the fact that it was the Lord who had appeared to him and spoke to him, he was scared that having seen God, he would die. Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. 
It's important to remember who it was that appeared to Gideon. It was the angel of the Lord. We know that this was the pre-incarnate Christ who would later come to offer his life as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. The angel of the Lord doesn't often appear in the Old Testament. He does so only at critical points in the history of his people, when their welfare is at stake. He did not appear to Gideon to condemn him. He appeared to call this man, who appeared to be a nobody in the eyes of men, so the Lord could use him to deliver his people from the marauding bands of the Midianites and Amalekites. The Lord drew near to Gideon with a supremely comforting message. Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. It's likely Gideon did not see the Lord's face in full display, but in a veiled man-like form as the angel of the Lord. Yet Gideon recognizes that no one can appear in the presence of our holy, our majestic, our awesome God and expect to live. Gideon understood that the Lord was showing his wondrous mercy. Despite his sin and fear and weakness, the Lord had appeared to him. He had promised to be with him. He was convicted of his sin. He was laid low and comforted all at the same time. The result is is that Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. That's not what I expected when I first read this passage. The name of this altar was rather puzzling to me. But Gideon nailed it when he named this altar. Israel's problem was that they had forsaken the Lord, that they no longer lived in fellowship with Him. They were experiencing severe oppression from their enemies. The Lord had sent them a prophet to inform them of their sin. Yet even before they'd come to repentance, God took the initiative in coming to them and appointing the next deliverer of his people. The Lord answered all Gideon's doubts and struggles. He revived his faltering faith. He accepted the fellowship offering Gideon presented to him. He responded to his fear of death by speaking words of peace to him. The Bible uses that Hebrew word shalom. Biblical peace is not just an absence of war. The Lord is promising much more than deliverance from Israel's oppressors. He's promising that Gideon and the Israelites could live in restored fellowship with him. That they'd be freed of their struggles and doubts and be allowed to live in the comfort that God loved them deeply, that God wanted to live in intimate fellowship with them. The Lord's words to Gideon remind us of how Jesus appeared to his doubting and struggling disciples in Galilee after they'd all forsaken him. After his resurrection, Jesus came to them with the same message. Peace to you. Peace speaks of our sins being forgiven, of a restored relationship, 
of being in a situation where we may enjoy close communion with God. Gideon understood that this was what the Lord sought with his people. The disciples came to understand that it was through his sacrificial death and his resurrection that Jesus restored us to peace with God. Through his death, Christ has paid the price for our sins. And his resurrection testified to the new life that he gives to all who believe in him. Beloved, you all know the gospel message of God's abundant grace in Jesus Christ. But knowing it in our heads is still different from experiencing it in our hearts. We may face doubts in our faith. At times, it may feel like God is far removed from us in our lives. But the good news of salvation is that God desires intimate fellowship with us. Next week, beloved, we have an opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. In the sacrament, the Lord proclaims peace to us. He gives us opportunity to enjoy fellowship with him through the redeeming work of Christ our Savior. May the Spirit help us to prepare ourselves for the celebration. And may we experience fellowship with the Lord as we remember his wondrous deeds for us. Amen. Let's respond by rising and singing our praises to God. We'll do so with the words of Psalm 46, stanzas 1, 4, and 5.